I feel like personal projects are the ones that fuel you and, and give a direct representation of who you are as a creative. And they're the ones that get you the commercial work. Like it's great that you can do that, but I always think agencies and even clients don't want to see like what you do as a filmmaker rather than what you did in a previous commercial. Hi everyone. It's even like this, a series of talks where we describe the fantabulous world of sounds and advertising. Same faces here, Jan Pavelchuk, Alina Danilova, and our talk number eight starts a two episodes deeper dive into the realm of meanings and narratives. Each of two directors who we invited will tell us about their approach to building stories and emotion-driven storytelling and how narratives can be equally reflected in as well as addressed to both visual and sonic dimension of a film. Our today's guest is Ozzy Pullin, an independent director from London. Let's go. Started directing music videos, uh, fashion films, gone on to commercials, and then a few personal projects, uh, documentaries. Kind of like spreading the net to the whole kind of ethos of filmmaking as much as I can kind of add into there. I've been in London like 12 years. I'm originally from the north of England in Yorkshire. Yeah, I, I moved here 12 years ago and I started working for a production company called Partizan, who I'd never like heard about in, like in my head. And I think maybe this is goes to like, well, maybe not filmmakers now, but like when I was like 18, I didn't know about the world of music videos or commercials, you know, you kind of go into it being like, I want to be a filmmaker. So you want to tell stories, but then, then you find this other medium or, or you figure out like, oh, people make money doing that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. not just jumping into films because the film, you know, it's quite a daunting thing. So when I found this company, Partizan, they was doing like big TV commercials and music videos. Like it was like going to school again. It was like a, a university lesson in short form, like filmmaking. I started off like making tea and coffee, kind of like what everyone does and, you know, and earwigging and like, like listening to conversations and kind of absorbing as much as I could, yeah. going on set as much as I could. And then I started like assisting directors while I was there, like with their treatments, you know, like treatment designs to pitch to win jobs would read how they did everything. And, and basically in the background, I was trying to make my own work. So I would make music videos, like fashion films for people I knew, but I was just shooting everything myself on, on like a 5D um, and cutting it together. And then basically like building up my community of filmmakers who I still work with today. And then I made a music video that caught a bit more attention. Partizan had helped me produce it. And then they eventually signed me off that as a, as a director. Oh. And then I was there for a while. And then now I, I, you know, built up my kind of career, I guess. We'd say it's a career, but it is. <laughs> and then, and then now, now I'm, I'm freelance in the UK. I'm independent. I just, I, I left and um, I'm just working with different various production companies in and around Europe at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, that's a very condensed version of, of me, I guess, but that's kind of like the, professional side and the, the quick version of the journey, I guess. 
Okay, so you, you terminated your agreement with Partisan. I'm not really familiar with conditions that directors usually have with major production companies like Partisan, but uh, you just like, you, you said, okay, that was a cool experience, but guys, um, I need to, I need to do something on my own. Kind of. I think generally people have, especially in those bigger companies, they have like a two year rolling contracts and like a six month break clause. So you tell them in six months and then, then you slowly like get filled out or whatever. But I mean, because I was there from a really quite young age and I felt like part of the furniture there. I was like, you know, I was there every single day. Um, I loved everyone there, but I was never, I never signed anything. It was almost like a gentleman's agreement, which I feel like is happening more and more with production companies now. So it was just a conversation, just a really honest conversation about me feeling like I needed to move on. Feels like a breakup. Like I was like crying. Yeah, yeah. So it was really sad, you know, because yeah. I didn't know anything else. And I was very scared as well to be like self-sufficient and like you've got to market yourself. You know, there's no one waving your flag. And I think that's the most daunting thing, probably for the first year I was doing it. Absolutely. was just like, how do I now maintain getting scripts and getting work? But then you forget that throughout the years you've been there, you've built all these relationships, you know, and then you realize it's, it can be about the individual, not just like the company really around you. They, they shaped me of how, how I dealt with all the relationships, but it's really just comes down to you and, and the people you attract, I guess, which has helped me the most. And besides you, you have a really, some sort of really strong emotional connection of people who you really worked with permanently before. And uh, it sometimes leads you to some sort of really challenging moods in your professional career. As a person who actually haven't been engaged to any permanent connections in my entire life. So I, we never signed a contract with any companies or production studios or advertising agencies. It's always about freelance work. It's also about project-based work. But even though it's not about permanent collaboration, sometimes it's really tricky to disengage and to terminate things and so on. Yeah, it feels like a breakup. Yes. It feels like you're in a relationship and you're breaking up. It's it's really strange. Yes, it's, yes. And you feel it like something personal. Yeah. It's weird because it says a lot about the work we do. I mean, it's all a business, but you're not. It just feels like because you're so um, closely working with these people on completely different projects each time and you're not just like sat at a desk all the time. You're in very intimate environments. I don't know. It becomes more than just, feels more than just a job sometimes, you know, because it's really intimate. Yeah, that's uh, really also a part of what we do as a creators and as a creatives, because we all work at some meanings and stories and uh, quite often it just uh, really contains emotions. Yeah. You can just see it as a work or a business, something you do for the money. If it doesn't contain emotions, then it's maybe not a great thing. Yeah. Which then relates to the work you make. If, there's, if it feels like there's no conne emotional connection, it's like, yeah. well. It's really strange. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard to make something if you've got no emotional connection to it, really. You've mentioned that uh, the reason why you wanted to do it uh, in the first way was that you wanted to tell some stories. How do you perceive it like now that your background, did you like succeed in telling stories? Uh, did I succeed in telling? I, well, I, so I, I feel like, you know, when you're just like constantly writing stuff down, you want to, you want to, you want to do. I mean, recently I did a film on, on my brother where he was in the British Army and was like, it was on tour in Afghanistan 
uh, for a few few of the formative years of when we were growing up. I'm um, sorry, is it your brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. I always th- I always wonder if I should have put that in the film <laughs> that it was my brother, but it's my brother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I I, I always feel like I should have like a blurb at the start at the start saying like. This is my brother. Yeah, it, it changes so much. Know, yeah. It makes it like 500% more personal. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should put a blurb <laughs> and say it's my brother. Because people don't know, and I think maybe because I just, I don't know, I don't know why I just didn't incorporate it in the film, but I just didn't. But that that was something me and him, well, I'd been thinking about it for a long time, and we kind of, we drifted apart with him joining the army. And then when he came back, we gradually started talking about his experiences a bit more and he gradually started open up a bit more to me and then i basically asked him if i could just put out like a, a radio mic like a lapel mic on him and talk because i don't know i didn't want to just stick a camera in his face because he's not he's you know it's a completely different world he, i don't think he'd feel t- totally confident with it and he just started opening up and it felt like a therapy session so i guess that story we would it kind of evolved from you know from him but it was a very I didn't really know I wanted to say, but I knew I wanted to tell a story about my brother. So I guess that that was something I always wanted to kind of push. It was a very strange process, actually. In terms of like sound and music, actually, like I weirdly treat like a music video. So I did the interview first and then I like edited that in like the time. And then I would like make playlists while I was listening to his voice. So I was really obsessed with the um, the film Mandy's music and score. And I can't remember the composer is like, what's his name? What did he do? He did Arrival, I think. Johan Jonasson is a composer. He did, he did um, Theory of Everything. He's done, he's done loads, of, loads of big films. I'm not really sure if I remember the name of... Uh... Of Arrivals, yeah, but I know you're... you're He's amazing. Yeah, it is Sicario, Arrival, Prisoners. But I would basically listen to the Mandy soundtrack. Jochen Jonsson, yes. Yeah, while um, listening to his voiceover. And then I kind of like, then would speak to a composer and we we would like design it, like we were designing the track ourselves before I'd even shot anything. And then I went and shot it based on the music. Wow. So like a music video. So it's, it's completely reverse process in that thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because I'm so used to it in music videos though. So like I get my ideas through music all the time. And actually it reminds me pretty much of Hans Zimmer's um, process of working for Interstellar. He wasn't given any scripts. He wasn't given any references or briefs. I'm pretty sure that directors sometimes uh, do decide to go that way. And it's pretty brave. Gives you much more space to create because you're not obliged to follow some sort of guidelines. Yeah, I guess it just for me, it like, just depends on how like every project is kind of like figured out a little bit differently. And with that one, because I knew the tone, so like I was using like reference tracks, I guess, but then the composer I was working with, she would, she'd send me the track. So say the, the track would be like a minute, but obviously my film was like five, but then I'd ask her to send me all the stems. And then I would like weirdly build a, a, like a really rough version of the track myself with the edit and then give it back to her. And I'd say, oh, can we add some more things here? So it was like a really weird, it was like a backwards way of- The construction. Yeah, it really was. But I really liked it because I felt like we would change and improve things as I was editing and before I was shooting and 
while I was shooting. And then she did the sound design as well. So then it was like built within everything. It was a really strange, weird process, but it felt great. It just felt more natural rather than me editing something with a reference track that I would be too stuck to. Because I edit quite rhythmically, so it's completely dependent sometimes on the track. So I didn't want to get something that already exists and put myself into a corner and be like, this is the way it needs to be. So I liked this like organic flow of her composing, giving me the music and back and forth and saying this didn't work and change this stem and, you know, I don't know. I just felt really organic, really. I think this type of working communication that really works well only if you like really good the communication with that particular person who's is quite a challenging thing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we we had we had a bit of a shorthand oh, me and yeah. the composer because she's done loads of work with me before, so she kind of understood my musical language as well. Approach, yeah, my approach of it because well, maybe not a lot of directors, but I know a lot of directors do struggle with describing yeah. the music. Well, for me anyway, I use they do. Yeah, I use a lot of like emotional words and I don't really know what instrument it is, but I'll know that and I'll, you know, it's a really difficult language to really nail. So for you guys to like understand our gibberish and what we're saying to you, I think it's a real skill. Like going like, yeah, we kind of get what you know. This is a basic function that I yes. think actually, yeah, that's what we do on a daily basis. We translate it from human's language to music's language and vice versa. It's actually a basic function. I know many composers that are not capable of doing this and moreover, they tend to sometimes say, oh God, please guys, we need to teach clients how to, how to describe music or we need to teach them do it that way. Uh, I'm not really keen off uh, that kind of approach. I think that we actually, we do our work in order to establish a healthy connection where we understand both sides. And that's crucial for me. That's essential. It just like it should be for every new composer or sound designer, because it makes you capable of handling any narrative, any storytelling that you're actually capable of physically. How do you guys like to work though? Do you like to work where... You like it being given references or like a raw, you know, a raw thing and someone going like, this is the tone or, because at the moment, I'm surely everyone, I mean, the majority of people are constantly sending references. Absolutely. Right. I feel like all we do is reference yes. and everyone wants references. Actually, we had a talk earlier where we discussed with, I believe it was Mike from Push uh, in Tokyo. And we actually spoke about the whole advertising industry that's actually built on references. Like ninety nine percent, yeah. And sometimes it makes you it makes you feel uncomfortable. Really, you you understand that you your content and your whole your ideas are based on someone else's ideas, and sometimes it makes you feel confused. Like, what the hell am I doing here? Well, it becomes an echo chamber, doesn't it? It becomes like you know now when I when I'm pitching for commercials or whatever, and you're using you know now they want treatments that are interactive and moving and everything moving. So. You have a lot of research sites, which are great and super useful tool. Yeah. But then they, from from a client's perspective, which can be very black and white sometimes, they'll see a reference and be like, "Oh no, we want exactly that." You know, and and in your head, it's like it's not going to be exactly that. Like that's just like a tone or a feeling of energy or something. But it's not. I'm not going to replicate it. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, yes, that's your that's your point of view, and it deserves really much respect. And. I wholly, I wholesomely support 
that point of view as a creator as well. Besides, it's way more productive when you see yourself not just a replicator of someone else's ideas. Okay, you can base something on someone's approach, but it still remains yours. It sometimes bothers me that people ask for tell their story in a way how some other person tells a, another story. That's why it sometimes bothers me because, you know, guys, I'm looking for a specific mood for your kind of story that you have brought to us. And the fact that you've done it, the fact that you did the labor with your own hands, makes it 100% personal, makes it 100% authentic, despite the fact that you might have copied like half of the things you liked in a reference track or in a reference movie. The thing that basically makes it yours, like makes it personal, authentic, is your choice of the things you like in those references. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah it was really mind-blowing for me. And it actually canceled all my thoughts about me or my colleagues being 100% authentic. Actually, it's never that. It's never 100% original. Nah, yeah. I mean, we're always constantly getting inspired. Yeah. I always, my, my worry is, is like some of the commercials I like what come out now. You see some of them and just, it just becomes, again, an echo chamber. I feel like it's because like advertisers or clients are scared to do anything that feels too different. But I was talking to my friend the other day about this. I was like, if I have to see another camera go into someone's eye, I am going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. know, the snorry cam in the eye. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, oh, come on, go somewhere else. <laughs> we also have these things in music and in sound. And it's really, sometimes you hear them and it's just... I bet, yeah, yeah. It's all these trends. There's trends coming through, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to add a quick thing on that reference topic. I think the one uh, thing that drives me mad personally as that I know that some, some agencies and clients think of the references as they guarantee the success, like they guarantee the numbers, like you have to make this to get this number. It just makes all of the works like useless because there is no art and there is no thoughts and there is no feelings. There are just some numbers, guarantees, marketing campaigns. Yeah. It's just the vibe that sometimes I don't like. I understand that it's okay, but it's just the wipe of the numbers. In terms of what, like, this music's popular now, can we use this because this type of music's trending or something? Is, is that what you mean? Uh, that's what I mean, but uh, also, like, they tend to think of the music uh, as the second thing, not the most important. I mean, they tend to think of the visual as the first thing and the music and the sound. Ah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is silly because it's all, it's all the same. Yeah, definitely. It's like you need a good piece of music and good sound to accompany the good imagery. It's like, you know, all on the same level. Actually, the whole concept of this hierarchy of media in audiovisual contents, it's, it's bullshit. Because there's nothing more important or less important. All I know is that the main big idea belongs to the director and they're responsible for delivering this message to all the other guys who, who are helping. That's what the structure looks like for me. And um, it's really similar to orchestra. Don't get me wrong for choosing that simple metaphor, if, if, if you don't mind. No, but I know you mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good way to explain it. It's like conducting. It's that simple. There are no basic instruments, like the instruments which are not really... Not the most important ones. Yeah, not the most important ones, like background instruments. There are Like tambourine. Or the triangle. Yes. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, if you subtract any of them, I don't know, you find yourself in 
in an uncomfortable situation. Okay, you can live without a triangle, or even you you can you can conduct an orchestra without a first violin, yeah, or without a tambourine, or without a grand casse. Is that huge huge thirty six inch drum on the background? Yeah. Again, I'm saying it out loud just to make sure that it's not just about building a pyramid of importance of someone's roles. Agreed. Definitely. It's teamwork. All teamwork, guys. You know, I have a point that uh, we started from uh, talking about stories and narratives, uh, right? And uh, the thing is that telling a story is an incredibly difficult process. And if you have like some instruments or techniques to use uh, it, uh, just a silly thing not to use them while you're telling the story. You can choose not to, but I think just to tell a story, everything can be useful. Yeah. What you mean in terms of like technical things? Yeah. yeah. Well, thing is, it's, it's weird. Like I really have the most fun, I'd say, when, you know, there's probably less money and less tools and I don't know when I'm kind of like shoved into a corner where I have to be really pragmatic with the way I want to tell a story on what the best way would be. Like, you know, if I can't afford a big techno crane that goes up and shoots around <laughs> and does all these crazy things, but then what is the other way I can do to kind of get that type of emotion? Like if I go, well, what emotion, what do I want the audience to feel? Okay, well, what is the way I want to do that? Again, I'm just referring back to my, the film I did about my brother again, just because it's the most kind of like fresh and personal one I did. We got this this um, like bendy mirror stuff, like flexi mirror, and I shot his reflection in it, and then we slowly bent it and did just different lights on. But this this like glass thing, well like flexi reflective material, was like ten pound on eBay. Like this guy just sells like strips of them and we had like two little lights and because we didn't have much money, but we, we were like pushed into almost a real creative corner where we had to really figure something out. And I kind of like those limitations within shoots. I kind of like being pushed. It's almost like now like trying to write short films and being like, okay, well, what can I do <laughs> with X amount of money and how can I do and how can I tell the best story? and all this kind of stuff. I, I like all these limitations because sometimes then in the commercial worlds, you know, the limitations are not that you have all these toys. The limitations are like communicating the brand's idea or the agency's creative, you know, like how, what is the best way to do that and how can we do that? These are like limitations of another level. Exactly, yeah. So it's just a different thing. Whether you've got, you know, a crew of four of you or a crew of like 50, 60 of you. Exactly, exactly. I have a quick question about this talk you've done with your brother. What did he say about that? I mean, did he like that? Actually, I have one more question related to this one. Didn't you face any concerns, any personal concerns about like feeling like falling your own nest while filming a documentary about your own brother on an issue like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like, I never really felt like I was doing anything weirdly too personal. I didn't, I didn't think about it. And then like the further along we went with it and talking to my brother more he it then became real it helped mine and his relationship a, a really great deal we, we're like closer now than we ever have been and he he still lives in the north of england in yorkshire you know my brother's he's a bit older than me he was very closed emotionally so he it's got this quite classic like i'm a man syndrome which you know that stereotype where you don't want to speak and you don't want your feelings to come out and you don't because you feel like it's a sense of weakness and I feel like that's ingrained 
in anyone who's in the military, it's just like, you know, push your feelings down and go forward and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think it was the first time he'd really started opening up. And what that did, it was almost like therapy and helping him. Then I kind of knew it was more of like a fully, like a real personal project, not just a personal project random. It was like very personal to the point where I think when I, I was originally doing it, I was like, should I be putting more of my myself in this? You know, like you guys not realizing it was my brother. I don't know why I stayed away from that, but I kind of wanted to separate it a little bit and try and allow the story to speak for itself, I guess. And with my brother, he he just didn't know what we would do. He didn't really understand what I was doing at first. Like, I just said I wanted to make a film about him and his experience, but he didn't really, you know, like anyone, he was like, why me? Like, why, you know, what am I going to do with anything? But then, because he, he was like the client, he's like my client. So I sent him the first edit and he was like, what? He was like, how, how have you made, like, what is this? Like, but you know, he was amazed. He was amazed. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. What did he say about it? Did he like it? Yeah. Yeah. Because he just didn't really realize what was going on. And then he understood. Because at first, I think he had this form of embarrassment. Because like, you know, anyone getting a camera stuck on their face. And he didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And like, as soon as like we released it, we, we had a, like a small screening in London. And he came and did a, a, a Q&A. And he was like, so amazing. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and dad came. It was really sweet. And he just blew me away. He was just really open about his experiences. And now he's got a lot of friends who are still in the army. So they've watched it and then people have sent him feedback. And I think it's allowed him just to be generally like more open about what experiences he saw positive or negative. It must have been great feeling. Yeah. It just, it just makes him feel, I think, a little bit more comfortable in himself. Which is great. That's an amazing story. I might really closely relate to that. I have an uncle of mine. He also has a similar syndrome after war in Yugoslavia in the 90s. And he fought for the Bosnians in mid-1990s. I believe it was like 95 or 96. Maybe if he could have been a, I don't know, a figure of, of a similar movie. How do you think, could it be like so some sort of therapy for people who uh, take parts in projects like that, in documentary projects like that, definitely, definitely, I, I see that all. It's, it, I think it's trust as well. Like it's a, it's a, it's a therapy, but it's trust. So I've just done a film, a charity film for the Royal British Legion, which is like the charity organisation in the UK based around the Poppy Appeal. And I interviewed a guy who basically lost everything, lost his family. You know, was on the edge of like committing suicide, and this charity really helped him out, like to take him out of that. And I think from just being able to speak to people. And like, even in the film we did, like he, he, he was opening up, but he had to trust me before he can say anything. Right. He just, it's just about like trust, trust in the person rather than like thinking like it helps that it was my brother. I was making the film, like my film about because he knows I'm not going to take advantage of him. I think there's always that worry that, you know, especially in the film, he tells a story about someone he was working with who, who shot a kid, you know, and that's, he was really worried about saying something like that because, you know, I think he holds a lot of guilt from it, but I think it, him expressing it in a trusting environment and me being able to tell it in an authentic and trusting way, I'm not like manipulating the the narrative because I'm close to him, you know, and he's in a trust, trusting way. So I just think, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of about trust, but I think it is all therapeutic. And I think that documentary is, I think... You know, you get someone in a comfortable environment where they trust and weirdly, people can be like taps. Some people just want to talk about their experiences. 
you know, you get them in the right mindset and you ask them the right questions and it pours out of them sometimes. It's really strange how differently the narrative works in documentaries and the fictional things. Like when you do a documentary, you're constructing this narrative from the reality, from the real emotions and guilt. It's really strange in a way if you think about it. It is. It's weird as well because like the way I approached this was, well, I filmed him in real environments, but I constructed those environments, you know. It was a real weird contrast of like, He's a real person who's not an actor. He's my brother. Yeah. But I'm filming him in his gym, but I'm lighting it in a certain way. I'm getting him back in his army gear, going to these locations where we grew up. But it's like, I'm still constructing a narrative, even though the the sound's real, you know, his his voiceover's real, what he's saying's real. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still manipulating like an emotion and trying to get an emotion out of it. But the thing is, with, with that type of documentary, I really like being able to control the visuals like that. I find it really hard, you know, them documentaries that are very like more fly on the wall or like you're uh, being more of an observer and you're running around and filming as things are happening, you know, very like voyeuristically, which I find that quite hard. But I think it's because I've come from more of a, a structured background in music videos and commercials even fashion where there is a shot list usually. You have a certain amount of days to shoot, certain amount of hours to shoot. That's why I kind of approached that documentary like that. I, I wanted to control it. <laughs> you know, I wanted certain images, what came to my head, and I had locations in my head, and I treat like a like I treat a commercial. And I, the sound also. And the sound, yeah, yeah. I record all locations. I I knew how I wanted it to sound. I knew how you know all I need is what's what's my brother's voice. It was really strange. You know, it was you know a really weird way of, of doing a documentary, I guess. Um, But it's the way I'm gonna. It's the way I like to take things now. I like to, like I did this music video recently in Blackpool, which is like the west coast of the UK, and we shot in these real environments with these real people. But we we constructed certain shots, like long takes, and got all these real people to. But I blocked. We blocked them out like actors. But they were just like, say it was at this this gym. We, you know, had this person like pick up these weights and cross the image, and it was all constructed. And I kind of like that. It's weird because it's like merging narrative and drama with documentary. And I kind of, re I really like that blend, um, which I'd want to carry on and push into like my narrative filmmaking. I feel like I'd want to just flip it and be like, it's a it's narrative scripted piece, but try and incorporate real characters and real people into it, if I could. Have you finally abandoned that commercial area or are you still filming advertising? Yeah, yeah, still doing advertising. I weirdly got lumped. Well, I say lot, lumped. Lumped sounds really negative, but I, I like, I've, I've done a lot of like kids commercials. Actually, it doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> From my point of view, actually. Yeah, yeah. I did. I basically did like one commercial for Stella McCartney with kids. I'm a big fan of it. Oh. I'm a really big fan of it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, mine as well. But they were real kids, you know, like they did all this gymnastics on all these horses. They were real, real environments. And we basically put them in scenarios and they were just themselves. And then we just shoot. And and basically from that, I got hit up to do several like commercials, relate, like kids fashion commercials, because they'll want it to feel like that. But it's never really going to feel like that because it's for a TV commercial and you use kids who are actors most of the time. And there's a script and there's time. And, you know, I, I always try and make it as real as I can, like, You know, if we've got a kid who's a skateboarder in it, like 
well, let's make sure the kid's really, really good <laughs> at skateboarding before we look at how he looks. Like, as long as they're good at what they do and they love what they do, we'll get the best performances out of those kids. So that's what I've been doing, like, I guess for the past couple of years is a lot of like TVCs for kids' fashion. Yeah. And then I get weirdly sent like CG stuff because I did like a commercial with a running tortoise, like a CG tortoise. And then I get, I get a lot of some CG stuff as well. But at the moment, I kind of want to focus on doing more personal stuff. But to do that, you've got to do the commercial stuff, you know? So definitely. Yeah. yeah I mean, I wanted to do another personal project this year and I just haven't, which I really keep myself because I feel like you do one a year. If you do one a year. And that's still a, still a great tempo. Yeah. 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 Because you fund figures with them, you're funding them yourself. So like my brother's one, I just, it was just a self funded thing. And then I just got all my favorite. I just like, you know, hit up people for favors. You know, because I feel like personal projects are the ones that fuel you and, and give a direct representation of who you are as a creative. And they're the ones that get you the commercial work. Like, it's great that you can do that. But I always think agencies and even clients, they'll want to see like what you do as a filmmaker rather than what you did in a previous commercial. That, from my experience anyway, that's, that's been what I've had. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask you, do you have this experience that clients want to, to do something just because you're music as an artist? That's a really rare case. Because Jan writes like really interesting and complex uh, electronic music as an artist. I used to. It's due to our recent work. I'm not really into writing my own, ma making up my own music right now, as I used to. But I actually, I got my first projects thanks to my music, thanks to my own music as an artist. But it faded out in maybe a couple of years. Now it's based on our, even like this portfolio, on our commercial portfolio, and sometimes our works for short films, like for documentaries and for our indie initiatives. We, we love to make something beautiful. Yeah. It's not always about money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. But it's really tricky how, yeah. how you can do something for yourself and it attracts, it involves things that you actually didn't expect at all. Big time. And it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I guess you guys, because a lot of it is if you're making your own tunes, I guess then you, you guys build up a library, right? Of just like... Even even stuff you pitch to people, it's maybe not that's not the right tone or something. And then do you have a library, but your own personal library? I know it's not online, but do you have your own personal like mm. backlog? To be honest, no, we don't. But I think it's more about building a signature sound, sonic identity. Yeah, actually, sonic identity is more about audio branding. But I think it's, it's identity in the meaning when you make your own footprints. On your works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as an author or as a collective author, as an agency, as a sound production. And the footprint is, is a thing that makes you feel the origin. Actually, it's not just about having a sound library. Like, you know, we, okay, guys, we have 25 tracks that we're not using right now in our project. So you can choose. Uh, it does work like that. I know sound studios that do work like that. It's about choices also. Mm, Yes, somehow, yes. And maybe thanks to our previous music careers, I don't know, uh, Alina is still uh, still making her own music. Sick. And <laughs> yes, and I think this self-identification of as artists, you know, makes you feel much more personal about your commercial work. Definitely. Indie things that are actually uh, my own fuel as a creator to encourage myself and encourage my colleagues and my friends to make it as bespoke as possible. 
And I think it's crucial. I think it's crucial. That's why I I wouldn't love to switch to a sound library strategy. But like major sound studios. Yeah, for us, it's just just ineffective because you want to make music for the project, I think. Yeah, even when I do a project and say the budget's not like huge, um, they'll be like, oh, you know, we budgeted in for like a library check. And I'll be like, ah, let's not do that. Because then what you can do is, you know, you can go to people like you guys and be like, look, this is the deal. It's a personal project or it's a small project. We don't want to do library. We, we like, is there anything you guys can help us with? And I always think that they, you know, bringing a little personal touch to it and making it bespoke and making it feel part of it is, is always much better. Even in, in terms of the editing thing and editing it to a certain specific moments and, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, I've always tried to steer clear of copyright free, even though there's a lot of sites that are so good for up and coming filmmakers though. That, that's the thing. They can really help. Yes, yes. But I'm always like, find someone who is a musician or wants to get in com- to composing and just, if you have something small, like give it to them and then see what they can do with it. And then you build a relationship from that. So I've always tried to do. I think that's because you you worked uh, a lot with artists uh, because you've done like music videos because this approach uh, is so typical for the directors who work a lot with music videos. Definitely, yeah. I wish I did more music videos. I feel like they're getting less and less every every year. I do like one a year. I want to try and get in it more, but I feel like the less I've done of that, the more I've, yeah, I've just moved into more like a commercial feel. But I do, um, I love music videos so much. I think they're the best, so... I feel like I want to do more. That's because it's just pure emotions. Like uh, you're just cultivating the energy of the sound of the song of the like the sonic structure into the visual. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the first music videos I did was for an artist called Tourist. It's like an electronic artist here in London. The forest one. Yeah. The people running. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that was like really low budget. And I never even met the artist. He just messed it. It was like a random email from some management or something. And um, we did that with like, yeah, on a shoestring. And, but I got like, I love that type of music so much, like emotional electronic kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm a massive softie, but at the same time, I really like, there's something that provokes a lot of emotion, especially from the artist tourist. So when I got that track run, I was like, just like right what can we do with this and do it like do long takes and like not make it choppy and make it feel like it's completely connected with the music um i haven't felt like that in a very long time actually he's actually sent me another track so i do want to try and get like get another video done for him because I, I i love him if if you guys haven't listened to him he's he's incredible yeah, yeah I, know, I know his music is, is amazing very emotional yeah. it's like an electronic emotional electronic music that's what i kind of i push to it because i I like like soppy, um, melancholic <laughs> music, I guess. Actually, we got a tradition, Ozzy. We have a final question for any of our guests. We have a question. Uh, what's your latest inspiration? My latest inspiration? It could be anything. Um, two things I'd probably say. I love the music of Grizzly Bear, okay? Do you know Grizzly Bear, the artist? Yeah. And they did the soundtrack to a film called Past Lives that's recently out. Mm-hmm. The film was really slow and steady and then the music was just like, if I had to like say, like if I wanted people to like compose my film, oh. like that type of music is like, because they did the music to Blue Valentine a while ago and it's this like weird like air of innocence to it that's just like gentle and amazing and 
it's innocence, but it feels naive oh. in some way, you know? And I always like to describe music in terms of like personifying it in a way and making it feel like a person. This music sounds like it's an innocent, you know, child or something. And that's what I kind of get from it. I always describe it like if I'd say to someone, oh, this music sounds confusing. Like it's, but they were like, what? What do you mean? But I'm like, it's, it's like, what emotions is it provoking for me? So I'd say that. And then I went to a really amazing talk with a photographer called uh, Jim Goldberg, who has just done a book called Coming and Going. And he's like a 70 year old photographer from New York. And he's just done this amazing, almost like an autobiographical book. But it's weird because it's like a big scrapbook through his life. And he was describing it as his like most vulnerable book he's ever made. And I'm like, he's 70. And I, I just felt like it was amazing that as he's got older, he's just become more and more vulnerable. And now he's like, he feels like he's making the best work through his vulnerability. And I kind of thought that was a quite a nice piece to take. And it kind of inspired me to be, be more vulnerable with my work and be more open and put more things out there. Aging like good vine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just not being afraid, just being really, it's been really open. Yeah. Not being closed. So uh, it was a great conversation. Pleasure to meet you. So you... We're extremely grateful for holding that one. Really. Oh, me really. too. I just think it's always nice to, you know, to talk and <laughs> put out information for people, whether they want to take it or not. I just think it's good to not gatekeep anything and make sure that everyone gets the information they need to be creative. Yeah. Thank you very much again for joining us. Guys, even like this, tune in next time. See you. 